St. Anthony is very, very popular for a lot of reasons. He's well known as the patron saint of lost items, objects, but he's so much more than that. And I got to confess, I've used him and I use him all the time for lost keys, lost. I use him a lot on the golf course. I'll be really honest with you. I'm often in the rough in life and also on the course. (laughs) And and I need to extricate myself sometimes from uh, tricky situations. And very often I've lost my golf ball in the deep stuff and whether they grow the rough pretty long. And, and I got to tell you, St. Anthony has come through more often than not for me finding either my ball or somebody else's ball that, that's been lost. And I, golf balls are expensive, but he, he's most effective, I have found, in helping to find lost souls. And, and he really, you really sell them short if you don't get the totality of his life. And he, here's, here's another thing that he was known for. Here, here's a nickname that he had that not a lot of people know about. Before he was well-known for finding lost objects, he was called, and this is a great nickname, the Hammer of Heretics. I love that. He's the Hammer of Heretics. Why? It's not just because of his eloquent preaching, and and a lot of people forget. He's one of the doctors of the church. St. Anthony is one of the doctors of the church for his sublime teaching. It's also his life, the witness of his life that was a powerful hammer against the heretics. And of course, the heretics are false teachers, comes from the word heresy, which has to do with false teachings. There's certainly a lot of those out there. And there's a lot of controversy about St. Anthony of Padua. A lot of people say, well, he should be maybe called St. Anthony of Lisbon. Nobody's actually suggesting that, but there's a bit of a fight, right? Because he, he died, of course, in Padua in Italy, but uh, that's where his remains are. And I'll tell you about that, too. So there's some incorruptibility there. Some, not all. Uh, one part of him was incorrupt, and, and that it's pretty wild. His tongue was found incorrupt. But, of course, he was uh, born in Lisbon, Portugal. And this year, World Youth Day is in Portugal. So people are going to definitely check that out. They're going to want to go to his birthplace. They're going to see some some places that were key in his life. But his name wasn't even Anthony in the beginning. It was Ferdinand. Not Franz Ferdinand, but uh, Ferdinand, and his dad actually was an army officer. He was a big time um, in the military, and his mom's name was Mary, and she was a very, very pious woman. But a bunch of priests actually educated Ferdinand, and they kind of paid for this to happen, I think, the parents. And when he was only 15 years old, young Ferdinand, who became Anthony, he said, the religious life is for me. I I really want to become an Augustinian. And that's what he wanted to be at first. He actually entered the Augustinian order just outside of Lisbon. But he actually had to move. He actually asked for a transfer to a different monastery, which is kind of further out in the country, because his friends kept bugging him. Well, not bugging him, but they wanted to visit him. So his friends kept visiting him in the monastery. And he was like, I I want more solitude. I love my friends, but I really want to focus on scholarship. And he had a great mind. He would... And this is kind of plays into how he became the patron saint of lost items. I'll tell you the story in case you don't know. But he was really, really fascinated with scripture and loved um, church history, the early church fathers. And he really, he kind of had what was an ideal life for many people. He just spent time living this life of asceticism, immersed in scripture, immersed in the church fathers. He loved it. But then... In the year 1220, and this is about eight years after he entered the Augustinian order, he heard about these five Franciscan missionaries who were martyred, who were killed trying to evangelize Muslims in Morocco. 
And this was kind of a big news story uh, in the day. And their bodies uh, were brought back to Portugal. And when St. Anthony saw this happen and the bodies come back home, uh, it, something changed in him. Something changed in St. Anthony. He realized, you know what, as devoted as I am to Christ, I'm not as devoted as these guys were. I, I need to be willing to do what they did. I need to be willing to shed my blood for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this really kind of affected him. This desire started to well up inside him. And then a, a bunch of Franciscans visited his Augustinian monastery. And he said, guys, I actually want to kind of defect and enjoy, join the Franciscans. And the Augustinians were like, come on, man, you can't be serious about that. Because back, back then, you, you got to remember, the Franciscans were kind of a new thing and people weren't altogether sure about them. St. Francis of Assisi, he was still alive. The founder of the Franciscans, one of the greatest saints of all time, St. Francis in his own right, obviously, was still living. And this is a new thing. This is, again, about the year 1220 A.D. And the Franciscans only got started in the year 1209. So this is kind of new. And some of the Augustinians are like, you can't, you can't possibly be serious about joining these guys. I mean, who are these guys? But he was like, no, man, I, I, I'm intrigued by this. Uh, the martyrs, they, they really moved me. St. Francis of Assisi and his, his radical commitment to the gospel. Man, I, I want to know more about this guy. So he got sort of permission to go uh, from the Augustinians. And he, in the year 1221, he joined a small Franciscan group. And that's where he, his name was changed. He took a new religious name, Anthony. And of course, he picked that name because the original St. Anthony, who really started the monastic movement, uh, St. Anthony of the Desert in the 4th century, he really kind of got the monastic movement going. And God used him really to save civilization. That's another story for another day. And then, of course, the, the next thing he wanted to do after joining the Franciscans was he wanted to become a martyr. He's like, I was so inspired by those Franciscan martyrs who had been murdered while trying to convert Muslims in Morocco. He's like, I want to do that too. So he actually got on a ship that was headed to Morocco, and he was that was his plan. God had other plans. First of all, he got really, really sick on that boat. I don't know whether it was the seafood chowder or what, but he was like <sighs> laid up, and he was like, he couldn't move. He was so sick. The ship eventually turned around and was headed back to, and he was he was actually gonna he was supposed to end up in Spain to go see some doctors, but the winds moved the boat off course and they couldn't get back on track, and they actually had to land in Sicily, in Italy, and this was not the plan at all, and that certainly wasn't what Anthony had in mind. But God had other plans, and how often is it true in our lives that we try to set the course of our life? We try to be the captain of our own ship. We think we know what's best for us. This is how it's going to go, God. You know, uh, just bless my plan here. I've already figured it all out, and you ha it's your job to make it happen. No, that's not the way. As it says in the book of Proverbs, many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the will of the Lord that prevails. And that certainly was the case with Anthony. He wanted to be a martyr, and you know, God bless him for his willingness to do so, but that wasn't God's plan for him. And so... The ship eventually lands in Italy, and he's like, okay, well, let's go see St. Francis. So he kind of ends up very, very close to Assisi, where St. Francis was was kind of there at the time, and he, was, he set up this big meeting for all the Franciscans, and he's like, I want to learn more about St. Francis. I kind of want to be near him. I want to be in his orbit. I think he's a great saint. And he actually 
kind of hid how smart he was and how talented he was and how learned he was and how much he knew about scripture and theology. He kind of didn't tell anybody about that. And he's like, can I just wash dishes in the kitchen? Can that be my job? And they're like, yeah, sure. We need a dishwasher. So that's what he did. He was the official dishwasher for the Franciscans. And he did that for a long time. And nobody knew that. Nobody knew anything about it. But in the year 1224, there was an ordination that was happening. And the guy who was supposed to preach didn't show up. So they're like, okay, uh, does anybody here have a have a, a homily ready to go? And they're like, not really. And they said, what about the guy in the kitchen? He's kind of our last resort here. So they asked Anthony, who was washing dishes, hey, would you, would you, could you please preach here? And there's a bunch of Dominicans that were there as well as, as the Franciscans. And he's like, okay. And so he, he did it. No prepared notes, nothing. Just got up there and preached and kind of off the top of his head, just relied on the Holy Spirit and he absolutely blew everybody away with his eloquence, St. Anthony. It was stunning. Everyone was just like, their their jaws were just like dropped open on the floor. Like, where, wow, this guy can really preach. And so St. Francis of Assisi himself said, I, I, I got to get to know more about this guy. And he actually befriended St. Anthony and said, you, you are so good and you are so gifted that I want you to teach theology to all the Franciscan brothers and really just, you need to help form them. So that's what he did. He started teaching theology in a bunch of cities in Italy and also in France where the Franciscans had kind of spread. This is where a lot of people don't know. He's a doctor of the church because of his incredible teaching, not just his austerity, but he was also really well known as somebody who had the touch of the miraculous in his life. And very often when he was, preaching against heretics, against false teachers. That's where God really came through with him for miracles, too, to back up his message. But that's And this is where he got the nickname, the Hammer of the Heretics. But he's well known for miracles, not only in his time, but also in our time. And I have to ask Producer Jim, and I wanted to save this for the show, but Producer Jim said that St. Anthony was responsible for a miracle in his life. And I said, I, tell me on the show. I want this to be a surprise to me as it's a surprise to everybody else. So Producer Jim... What's your connection with St. Anthony? First of all, I was blessed to see where he is, is buried there at Padua. It's a beautiful, beautiful mm. basilica there. It goes back about 30 years. And the pastor at our church had gone to Rome with several of the, of the priests of the archdiocese in St. Louis. And mm. he came back and brought all of us altar servers a rosary blessed by, now of course we know him as St. John Paul II. And it was very, wow. very special to me. It was very, I prayed every rosary with the family, wherever I was. And then I went on a camp uh, in about a year or so, and mm-hmm. we would pray the rosary every ne- evening. And in the course of time through the week, I lost the rosary. And I looked for it in my clothes. I packed them up. I un, you know, took them inside out in the pockets, every little small pocket. <laughs> Couldn't find it. Brought it home, took it out of the luggage, did the same thing inside out into the wash, took them out of the wash inside out. I was so bummed. It was such an incredible keepsake, but beautiful uh, sacramental as well. I, I just, I couldn't believe it, but I was the whole time praying to St. Anthony mm-hmm. and put the clothes in the dryer. When I opened the dryer, it's hard for me not to get choked up, but when I opened the dryer, the rosary was perfectly laid out right on top of the laundry. And I said, this is the most clear-cut miracle I've ever received. So it was beautiful. Very great. That's awesome, man. Hey, never apologize for getting choked up. I love how how you get emotional about this stuff. I love that. So, uh, yeah, it's really authentic. And 
<laughs> so that's pretty that's pretty great <laughs> and yeah he's been responsible for a lot of great miracles but again lost souls are really something that you should lean on him for but let me tell you really quickly in the year 1231 after Lent, you know, it was Easter time. Um, he, he really was not feeling well, and he, he was pretty sick. And he kind of did what St. Anthony did, his namesake. He kind of went back to a remote area, and he took two companions to kind of help him. He kind of wanted to be on his own, but he got, he got so sick that he had to get carried back to the monastery in Padua. And a lot of people wanted to see him because they knew he was kind of on his last legs, and they, they knew his holy reputation. And so there was this... There's a lot of people around, and there were so many people, in fact, that they didn't actually get to where they were going. <laughs> and he, he had to receive last rites kind of on the way there, and he died. Last thing he did was he sang a hymn to the Virgin Mary, and he died on June the 13th at the age of only 36 years old. He was only 36. Think about how much he accomplished. It's incredible. And so Pope Gregory the Ninth, who, by the way, he was a personal friend of St. Anthony. He actually knew him. He canonized him only a year after his death. So he was definitely on the fast track. In the year 1232, he was canonized. And he was really Santo Subito, right? That really happened. And then he was proclaimed a doctor of the church in the year 1946 by Pope Pius Twelfth. This is the incorruptibility story. This is amazing. So 32 years after he died, this is in the year 1263, they exhumed his body to see if he was incorrupt. And his body had totally decomposed, except for his tongue. And his tongue was apparently like a living tongue. Like it was saliva on it. It was like, whoa. Okay, now, and he's very often in uh, iconography. St. Anthony is one of those guys that you often see. A lot of saints are depicted as having, have you ever seen an image of St. Anthony with bees around him? Why would they, why would they do that? What's the connection with bees? Well, a lot of saints like St. Anthony who were great preachers, who are said to have a honeyed tongue, if you will, the sweetness of the gospel uh, rolling off their tongue. They're often depicted with bees. Anyways, his tongue was found incorrupt, and his tongue and his jawbone are in the Basilica of St. Anthony in Padua. They're in gold reliquaries, and obviously, Jim, you saw that when you went there. Just amazing. His fame just spread all around the world. What can we really get out of this? I I think there's, um, as one writer said, you know, reflecting on, St. Anthony and his legacy. We, we think about him as somebody who can really help us find lost souls in our lives, uh, friends, family members who maybe wandered away. I have a friend who actually, his name is Anthony, oddly enough, and he has wandered very far from, from God. And I, I always think of him when I think about St. Anthony. But how he became the patron saint of lost items. Well, remember when I told you that St. Francis of Assisi himself, after Anthony joined the Franciscans, he f- figured out how smart he was. And he said, look, I want you to be responsible for teaching theology, training, forming the friars in the faith. He did that in the year 1224. And sometime after this, one of the novices who was kind of, you know, thinking about becoming a Franciscan, well, apparently this guy decided it's not for me. And not only is it not for me, I'm going to actually commit a sin here. So he actually stole Anthony's book of Psalms. He stole his Psalter, okay, as it's known. And of course, the monks pray the Psalms. And uh, it's, that's right up there with my friend who stole his brother's WWJD bracelet. What would Jesus do? Well, he wouldn't do that. Okay. So at any rate, this dude took his, his Psalm book. And it wasn't just the Psalms that were in there. 
Remember, Anthony was a great scholar. He's a doctor of the church. He had all of his notes kind of scribbled in the margins and insights into scripture. And this is like a pretty big deal to him. Of course, he was able to, to get on without it. But Anthony prayed that, you know, hey, Lord, if it's possible, can I get this back? And the guy repented and he actually brought back the book of Psalms. So that that's kind of how, how it got going in case you, you didn't know that uh, he became the patron saint of lost items and people have been sort of asking for his intercession on these things. But there's there's another way that we can kind of think about this too, not only lost souls, but what if we have lost other things, like our patience, uh, as one writer said, you know, our, our cheerfulness, our lost relationships. Maybe there's a damaged relationship in your life at work or at home or in the neighborhood and, and maybe part of this is your fault. It, maybe it's time to mend the fence. Maybe it's time to try to rebuild and and find what was lost. So I think we can ask St. Anthony for, for intercession in that. Uh, there's no question about it. it. It's not over till it's over, right, as Yogi Berra said. So uh, let's help him to find what was lost, to fix what was broken. Hopefully he can do that for us. I know he can. <laughs> 